0: I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Wendy Mariner, a professor of health law, bioethics, and human rights at the Boston University School of Public Health. Professor Mariner has co-authored a perspective article on the demise of New York City's partial ban on selling large containers of sugar sweetened beverages. Professor Mariner, the judge who struck down New York City's portion cap rule, found in part that the rule had too many exceptions, quote, based on economic and political concerns, and that it was arbitrary and capricious because it didn't apply to all food establishments and all sweetened beverages. So given those exceptions, how do public health experts believe that it would have contributed to reducing obesity?
1: I'm a law professor, so I don't speak for public health experts. But the judge who struck down the portion cap rule was applying the appropriate test for a valid exercise of the city health department's power. I mean, if limiting the size of cups for some drinks in some businesses is a reasonable way to achieve a legitimate governmental goal, then it would be reasonable. Here the department's goal wasn't defined very precisely. The proponents talked about an obesity epidemic. And if the goal was to end or control an obesity epidemic, then by itself the portion cap rule, with all its exceptions, probably would not make a large difference people could probably get used to drinking less, but it did not apply to alcohol, for example. It didn't apply to milk. It didn't apply to large grocery stores or convenience stores. It didn't limit refills. It makes it hard to think there would be a huge impact. But the primary issue before the judge was whether the Health Department had been given the power to make that judgment in the first place. Uh, The judge found that it did not, so it was the judge's second conclusion that the rule was also arbitrary and capricious and that wasn't really necessary to strike down the rule.
0: Given that first element, if the New York State Legislature had passed a portion cap law, would that change your opinion about whether it's an acceptable approach to regulating public health?
1: It very well might. Uh, The City Health Department is an administrative agency, not a legislature. Uh, Administrative agencies can only do what the legislative body authorizes it to do. So the Health Department Got its authority from the City Council, which is, of course, the legislative body for the city. It's more complicated here because the City Council, in turn, gets its power from the New York State Legislature and Governor. And what the judge concluded was that the City Council didn't have, had not given the board the power to adopt the rule. He said that the general power to regulate contagious and chronic diseases and oversee the city's food and drug supply didn't include the specific authority to to adopt the portion cap rule. Now, if the city council authorized the board to adopt the portion cap rule, we would have a different case. Then the issue would be whether the portion cap rule was a reasonable way to achieve something and probably something more specific than reducing obesity. If reducing obesity is really the city's goal, then the judge may be right that the portion cap rule is arbitrary.
0: In a related perspective article, Fairchild argues that the ban was aimed at corporate behavior, not at individual behavior, and that in that sense, it continues the long tradition of public health initiatives she believes should be supported. How do you respond to that interpretation?
1: Well, I think she's right in many respects, and that's not inconsistent, but she's talking about the merits of the rule, not whether it was legally promulgated. It's true that in past centuries, public health tended to focus more on the environment, cleaning up the water supply, the food supply, developing sewerage, and controlling pollution from businesses and dangerous products. Um, More recently, there's been more of a focus on trying to change people's behavior. Uh, That's a lot harder to do. And, of course, people have more rights than corporations. Um, Well, what our article said, and I still believe, is You need to pick your battles, and if you pick battles that antagonize people, you undermine public health's credibility. And that just opens the door for opponents of public health who are more interested in their own profits to claim that they're being the defenders of individual freedom. That I find troubling.
0: Is there a way in which you can see these efforts by the Board of Health and Mayor Michael Bloomberg as a reasonable pushing of the envelope, testing untried approaches that might prod others to take action to change unhealthy habits.
1: Well, I'm a big supporter of efforts to find new ways to educate the public about ways to stay healthy and new initiatives. Um, Public health has been very successful in controlling and even eradicating contagious diseases. Uh, There's some irony in this, though, because its success has sometimes left it with less to do. So it's turned its attention to chronic diseases, which, of course, are the leading causes of death in the United States. So many proposals now focus on trying to change people's behavior instead of looking at the environment and creating healthy environments and conditions. I think what gives one pause is the fact that Poor and disadvantaged populations are often the target of new proposals to change behavior. I recall that the public health mayor, as he is called, reportedly said he would veto a city council law requiring city employers to provide paid sick days for their workers.
0: You point out that insofar as the court's ruling was based on the conclusion that the Board of Health overstepped its bounds, the ruling might also apply to other board actions such as requiring labs to report information on people with type 2 diabetes without the consent of the patient. What's the board been doing with that information, and has that requirement been challenged in court?
1: Um, It's somewhat surprising there have been no challenges. It it may have slipped in under the radar. I really don't know what is being done with that information. Certainly the most likely use is research, research into which people have high blood sugar, um, perhaps investigating whether they are beneficiaries of a Medicaid program or a city assistance program. Uh, The city appeared to be concerned about the cost of caring for people with diabetes. So who knows what might come next? Maybe making a normal BMI a condition of public assistance. If you weigh too much, you can't get help. That's a little worrisome because historically financial pressures have often... um, encourage passing laws that shift responsibility for, for problems onto the individual and away from government. That way the government can look like it's doing something for health without having to pay for it.
0: That brings up another possibility. You mentioned, as a reasonable alternative to the portion cap rule, raising taxes on the sale of sodas. But you acknowledge that such taxes tend to be regressive, On balance, what do you think of taxing either sugar-sweetened beverages or sugar itself?
1: Sin taxes do tend to be regressive, so I have mixed feelings about them. Um, However, there are rarely any legal impediments to taxing products to discourage their consumption. But that still puts the onus on the individual instead of the company that produces the product. I think it's more effective to try and regulate the products.
0: In the end, what kinds of laws, regulations, or rules, and at what level of government, do you think would be both legally acceptable and would help to reduce the rates of obesity?
1: Well, both levels of government, probably. The best predictors of good health are really income and education in the long run. (laughs) So the best public health policy would be high and adequately paid employment and quality education. In the meantime, of course, there are useful regulations to reduce the production and sale of unhealthy foods and unsafe products. And there are many good programs uh, developed and active now to improve the environment by providing safe places for people to exercise, better quality food, um, respite in jobs, but people still have to have the time and money to take advantage of these options.
0: Immediately after the portion cap rule was struck down, Mayor Bloomberg proposed legislation to require stores to keep cigarettes out of sight. Are there any legal concerns about that proposal?
1: Well, assuming the City Council has the authority to pass such a rule, it would probably be valid.
0: And further along the same line, the newest New York City public health proposal is to raise the minimum age for buying cigarettes from 18 to 21 years. Do you think that's likely to pass and to survive legal challenges?
1: Um, Laws that make cigarettes harder to get legally would probably reduce buying cigarettes some. Uh, But kids under 18 still get cigarettes today, so it probably wouldn't end underage smoking. Ending underage smoking would probably come from cultural norms. Attitudes towards smoking have changed dramatically, right, mostly as a result of education, and I hope that continues. But it will probably take another generation or two. Whether the city council would actually pass it, I don't know. The city council has had many controversial issues before them, and they have not agreed on all. The city council could get opposition from those who believe that If you are considered an adult at age 18, you should be considered an adult for all purposes, including what you buy, so there may be some serious pushback against uh, a rule raising the age to to 21.
0: Would that pushback come as a legal challenge or in some other way?
1: Oh, I would think it would probably come as a political challenge before the city council. The legal basis for challenging raising the age is probably weak. (laughs)
0: Thank you, Professor Mariner.